You're tuned in to Fork Podcast. I'm Sean Chris Lewis, your host, and I hope everybody's doing well out there. I hope during these times of transition and disruption, you're all finding that place in your heads where you can keep the right mindset going and keep your courage up and motivation going. Gosh knows that it's really quite challenging for all of us that when we're all immersed in all these our personal issues and problems that we're experiencing because of all the changes going on around us, it makes it really hard, especially in a time like now when there's so much going on politically and with the environment and we feel like we want to be involved and we want to contribute positively to things, but it just seems so difficult because we have all of our own things going on in our life right now. Seeing the political, the environmental, and the social systems, the way things are going, can take us to a dark place and even make us cynical and resentful in some ways. And I really believe that nobody wants to be resentful and cynical of society and what's going on. But when the problems are just so big, it makes you feel helpless. And I think that's where the cynicism comes in. I think that's where the this sort of dark view of what's going on in the world emerges from, you know, because when things are so big and seem unfixable, that people back off. They just choose to do nothing, right? What if I told you one of the most important shifts that you can make that will not only improve your personal life, you know, like we all look for a little bit more energy, right? We're all looking for a little bit more health and vitality in our lives because we know health and vitality is going to give us the energy to not only take care of our own personal problems, but also give us the energy to maybe extend ourselves and do something about the, the bigger system out there, the bigger systemic changes that we need to make. But what if I told you there is something that you can do that can have the, the greatest effect on all spectrums of many of the problems that we're seeing right now? And it won't ask you to do very much other than maybe make a couple of decisions in your day just slightly different. Doesn't ask you to go out and rally in, in, in public, doesn't ask for your money and donations, but it just asks for some slightly different choices to be made. And those shifts that need to be made have their origins right under your feet. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Right under your feet. Our vitality and health and well-being and an explosion in our desire to do things differently and even have an effect on climate change starts in our soil. Okay, so you might be asking yourself, how is soil going to affect all these elements of my life? How is soil going to affect my health and vitality, the political spectrum, the industrial spectrum? How's, how's soil going to fix all that? Well, I'm not a specialist, and there's so much about this that I don't understand myself. So what I do is I go out and I try and meet people who can explain these things a little bit better. Because I don't want us to have a society where people feel helpless and feel like the problems are so big that there's just nothing we can do about it. 
I want to find people who can say, hey, look, man, a lot of this is connected. A lot of these problems are actually interconnected. And individuals can have a huge effect on these problems because we don't necessarily have confidence sometimes in our governments and sometimes don't have confidence in industry to make the right decisions for what's good for society and for the environment. So for today's conversation, we're going to try and get some of this laid out and straightened out so we can all get a better idea of what we can do. Today's guest is Ananda Fitzsimmons. She's the president of the board of directors of Regeneration Canada. Regeneration Canada is a non-profit organization that promotes land management practices that regenerate soil health. They educate farmers, businesses, and even scientists on practices that can turn back the tides of climate change and restore biodiversity to our lands. I'm really excited for this conversation, and I know Ananda is going to help us to get a better grasp on what we need to do, that we can feel we're stepping up to do our own part in creating a prosperous future for our planet and generations to come. Hello. Hello, Ananda. How are you? I'm well. How are you, Sean? I'm doing good, thanks. I'm doing good, all things considered. I'm still under construction here in the house, so we're going to probably hear some <laughs> saws and drills. And, you know, these are the days of being uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's always a challenge to uh, renovate a space while you're living in it. Oh, my gosh. Is it ever? You know, I gave up on... Um, I mean, I'm really pretty serious about that. These are the days of being uncomfortable, right? You know, I said, I keep putting off some podcast guests and because I think that the contractor is going to be coming in and then, you know, he says, I can't make it that day. And so I could have scheduled. And then I just said, well, you know what? I'm just going to schedule stuff. And if there's some hammers going and drills and saws, then I'm just going to deal with it, you know, because you, you, you can't let you can't let, what is the expression that uh, perfect is the enemy of better? You know, you just got to yeah. get out there and yeah. try stuff and, and not let all these yeah. things uh, sort of disrupt us. So how about you? How's, uh, how was the summer with uh, regards to all the work that you're doing? Um, yeah, it was, it was great, actually. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was great. Uh, well, you know, it's uh I was more focused because I had less running around to do. So I got to stay home on the farm. That's incredible. I eh? that uh, so many people have different stories or they can recount how, how this, um, how the COVID disruption through the summer has affected their lives differently. So you, you hear like such a split. Some people say, listen, man, things are, are better actually for me. My life is, was, uh, I found more direction. I found a little bit more connection to things that I wanted to connect to than obviously others could have lost their jobs and, and, uh, uh you know, yeah. Didn't, yeah. didn't have such positive things to say about it, but uh, no, I consider myself very fortunate. Yeah, yeah, myself as well. I I have to agree, and I think we need to really count our blessings if we can say that too. So, and then, yeah, 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 yeah. So the, the the little things that we can bitch about aren't are nothing compared to what some other people could bitch about. Yeah, yeah. You said it. You said it. So 
Now, listen, I, I put out a, a few questions to some of my people on Instagram, and I got to say, Ananda, you must not have a problem filling a room because, I mean, I just said, hey, I'm going to be um, speaking to the uh, president of the board of directors of Regeneration Canada. And, uh, you know, if you have any questions, throw them my way. And I will tell you, I was just bombarded by questions. Really? Yeah, really? yeah, bombarded. Oh, so, I'm so curious. Yeah, I'm really happy because it shows Canadians, um, I guess because I said Regeneration Canada, mostly my Canadian um, followers on Instagram had responded. But I was really quite impressed to see how people thought, you know, yeah, soil. You know, I think we have a few things to cover here, Ananda, because All right. soil's well, I not can't so... can't <laughs> wait to hear what people want to know about. I know, <laughs> I know, and I can't wait to hear what you have to say about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's jump right in then. Okay, so tell me, I guess the first thing that I'd like to just hear from you is just maybe a little sprint about... Um, the mission of Regeneration Canada. Can we just get into that a little bit just to, to get some background? Okay, so the, the mission of Regeneration Canada is to um, um, raise awareness uh, in order to catalyze systemic change about the importance of um, soil regeneration as a very critical um, climate change solution. It's not the only solution, but it's an important part of, of the solution uh, to climate change. And a, a lot of people don't know that. Um, so our mission is really to make people more aware and then bring together important actors um, in the space in order to um, catalyze initiatives to um, to change the way um, <clears throat> soils are, are are dealt with, like land management is done, um, because we think it's a critical part of uh, the solution to climate change. Okay, so I guess my first thoughts on it are, you know, growing up, you know, I I think I'm fairly well read, but let's just say that I'm I know nothing about soil. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, I, other than what maybe I was taught growing up, which soil is dirt, you know, and right, how, right. how is dirt important in climate change? I, I, I don't get that part. Okay. So um, for one thing, soil isn't dirt. And uh, that's something that maybe in conventional agriculture, soil is just might be treated as dirt because uh, people feel like they have to um, add the fertilizers and provide everything that a plant needs. So the, the soil is little more than, you know, than uh, the thing that holds the plants up. Um, but actually in nature, uh, plants don't require anything to grow. Nature recycles nutrients and, and there's a natural process of soil fertility, which is why, you know, forests, and, and fields and everything can grow without people doing anything at all. So, but when we lose the fertility of the soil, then a plant can't can't grow in it. Um, so, regenerating the soil, the soil is actually made up of minerals and organic matter. But the thing that really makes it work, the thing that really makes it alive, is that it's full of uh, microorganisms. There's a vastly diverse community of living microorganisms that are there in a healthy soil and they're the ones 
that um, that create that fertility. They're the ones that break down the organic matter and then liberate the nutrients that are in it and then make those available to plants. So that's a, that's a, a natural ecosystem that uh, human beings were relatively ignorant about. And uh, so the way that our agriculture, the way that our food is produced now has largely ignored that. And um, as a consequence, um, putting in a lot of chemicals that actually, um, that, that actually destroy those soil microorganisms and tilling the soil is another thing that's actually very, very damaging to that soil ecosystem. Now, I'll just say a little bit more about that, if you don't mind, because that's a really important piece. You know, we always think of plowing as being an, an essential part of farming. So but, tilling, um, just to be clear, Ananda, tilling is when we see those tractors go through the, the farmland and turn the soil over in order to that's plant. That's exactly okay? right. That's right. exactly right. And that's right. a bad so, thing. That's a bad thing. That's a bad thing for the microorganisms that live in the soil. And for a couple of reasons, um, partly because um, there's there's a community. You could have, some people talk about you could imagine that some great big giant came and picked up our city and shook it mm. all around and then turned it upside down, and everybody would like fall out of their houses and everything would fall apart and things would crumble. And everything would still be there, but it wouldn't be arranged in a way that is optimal for us. And it's a similar thing that happens when you come through with a machine with big knives that turn everything over in the soil. It disturbs the, the layers in the soil and it disturbs all the, all the organisms that live there. And particularly um, the fungus, which is a really important part of soil, it has like little a web of tiny, tiny threads that, that hold everything together, and they're a very important part of soil structure. So when we, when we break it all up and turn it all over, it disrupts um, all of those things, and it, um, the fungus is particularly susceptible to that. And the other thing about it is, is that it leaves the soil naked. And in nature, if you look around in nature, you don't see naked soil. Naked soil is only where it's been disrupted. So a bare naked soil um, loses its moisture very quickly. It evaporates very quickly. So that's problematic. And, um, you know, it, it, it kind of bakes all the little microorganisms in there and allows the UV rays of the sun to penetrate down into places where they shouldn't penetrate. So, um, all of that is actually very, very damaging to the soil structure, and that's one of the reasons why we need to use all of all of those chemicals um, to grow the plants because we've destroyed the capacity of the soil um, to do its its natural fertility cycle. Okay, so when I go say into a supermarket and I buy a carrot. And that carrot has been grown in a field that has been tilled. It was exposed to the sun. It, um, it, what, what's missing now in that carrot? That I, it looks like a carrot. It's orange. It's actually kind of beautiful. It looks stereotypically what I think a carrot should look like. But I get it home and I eat it. What, what's, what's missing in it? What happened in the soil that is now affecting the carrot that I'm eating? 
Well, um, there's two things I could say to that. One is that um, when when the soil is is, is optimal, uh, there's going to be uh, more higher nutrient value in the foods that you're getting out of it. There's no doubt that that is true. Mm-hmm. Um, but in conventional agriculture, um, they're you know they're adding things back in, so the carrot may not be missing all, all the all the nutrients to the same degree, but you know, in our food system, we tend to think about, you know, what foods, what we need, what's good for us, what's mm-hmm. good for our bodies. But it, with regenerative agriculture, we also have to think about what's good for, what's good for the planet, what's wow. good for the environment. Um, yeah. And there are some ways that we can produce our food that we're actually doing good to the environment and other ways that we're doing harm. You just kind of blew my mind <laughs> because okay. Okay. I have never, I, I mean, as soon as you said it, I'm like, oh yeah, that's, that's true. But I hadn't really thought of this. I'm thinking about, okay, the carrot providing nutrients to me. It's always talking about what the vegetable or fruit might be lacking in that I'm looking for in my nutrition, but you just spun yeah. it. You just said it might have pretty much a lot of the nutrients that you need to be well or healthy. Sure, it might be missing other certain micronutrients that would be ideal. However, as far as my health goes, it's probably it might be providing what I need, except I'm missing the big picture. I'm thinking about me and not the planet Earth. Right, right. Absolutely. That's Absolutely. just, that's incredible. So, yeah. okay. So, so there's a huge carbon imprint um, to agriculture. Like um, the fact that we cut down all the trees um, to do big fields of um, crops for people, often monocrops. Um, we've, we've cut down the ability of the soil to um, sequester and cycle carbon. So that's, you know that's one way that it plays into into climate change because you know this land used to be covered in trees right yes so now that we've cut them all down and instead we're growing um, monocrops of things like corn and soybeans um, those things are not sequestering nearly as much carbon killing the soil is releasing carbon out of the soil and putting it back into the atmosphere so that's one thing. Making fertilizers has a huge carbon footprint. Just the manufacturing process of manufacturing fertilizers is, is very, very carbon heavy. And uh, when you apply um, nitrogen-based fertilizers to the soil, there's, there's an interaction in the soil which creates a greenhouse gas called nitrous oxide, which is more powerful than, than CO2. So all of those things together, and not to mention, you know, the, the number of times that you pass over a field with a tractor, um, you know, the cost of, of the gas and the energy that's used to do that. And, um, and then, of course, the whole thing about um, meat production and uh, the way the way meat is produced so there's a lot of things the processes of agriculture are very very carbon intensive and so those are adding to the greenhouse gases whereas um, when an ecosystem where the land is managed in a different way plants actually pull carbon out of the atmosphere 
and put it back into the soil. But the way we're growing our food, we're, we're, we're minimizing that aspect. We're, we're taking away from the way nature would do it. And, uh, and then we're adding a bunch of carbon back. So the equation in the end is not uh, beneficial. It's on the negative side. Is it inevitable that if I plant vegetables and while they're in their growing phase, I assume while they're growing, they're pulling carbon out of the atmosphere? Does a vegetable mm-hmm. do that? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes, so then, w- okay. So then, once I pick that vegetable, is that an inevitable end of a cycle that the vegetable that's picked will then release carbon back into the atmosphere, or will it still stay in the soil unless I till it? Uh, the carbon is actually in the vegetable, and then uh, you eat the vegetable. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, uh, you sequester that carbon into your body and you are actually carbon yourself. So all it, all, all biomass is, is like carbon that's on the ground. And when it decomposes and dies, then it releases it back. You know, so we hear about the tree, the tree grows, the tree is sequestering carbon its whole life. Then if you cut the tree down and it, it decomposes, in the process of decomposition, the carbon that's in that tree get released back into the atmosphere. So it's a natural cycle. Mm-hmm. It's something that's happening all the time. But the idea being that there's a, there's a balance with that. Like when the land was covered in forest and there was no bare soil and there weren't so many people, um, there was a lot more carbon down in the earth than there was up in the atmosphere at the same time. So how do we... How do we plant, eat, and end that cycle in a positive way? How does, how does an individual see themselves in that cycle like of, of planting, consuming the carbon, ending that cycle? Or how do we perpetuate the cycle in a positive way? Well, regenerative agriculture, which is what we promote at, regenerative, at Regeneration Canada, is a series of principles of how to do agriculture in a way that it's going to be more regenerative than degenerative. And um, so, so there are, are these principles. Mind you, it's hard at this point in time for a consumer to understand, you know, when you look at your food in a grocery store, where it comes from, how it was grown, and, and know how to make those choices, mm-hmm. which is why it's um, there are certain um, talks going on right now about uh, creating certifications. Um, so we'll soon probably be hearing about that. Um, there may be labeling on your food so that, you know, you can tell when you buy your bag of carrots, whether it was produced regeneratively or degeneratively. Um, at this point in time, that is a challenge for consumers. Um, I would say that generally, you know, favoring small local organic, you've got better odds um, <clears throat> that the, the carbon footprint of your food is going to be less than if it was um, shipped from California or if it was uh, produced using a lot of, um, you know, chemical fertilizers. Um, but, you know, that that is a challenge. So one of the things that we talk about is, is um, just making yourself as a consumer more aware of all this. And, and paying more attention to farms like, 
you know, go and visit farms, like get to know what's going on and, and dig in a little bit to where your food is coming from and how it how it's produced and, you know, what you're choosing to eat is uh, is a kind of climate activism that um, people living in cities um, can can do for themselves. All right. So you just actually stepped into one of my questions that somebody had asked me. <laughs> so, okay. So um, this one was actually about, is our government playing enough of a role in helping farmers to transition over to regenerative farming? Can we talk about uh, that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the government of Alberta is uh, the only um, legislature in Canada that does have a program to promote um, to promote uh, no-till farming, which is a kind of uh, regenerative method, like to grow food without tilling. So it isn't necessarily organic, but uh, the field isn't uh, tilled. Um, but this is very much something that needs to get more on the radar screen, and that's part of like why we're around, um, because most of the carbon credit discussion um, is is more focused on energy. It's more focused on you know burning fossil fuels or not burning fossil fuels, which is an important piece, but um, it, it ignores the other piece, which is like getting the carbon back out of the atmosphere, which is only um, done through plants, which is only done through land management. So, um, no, there isn't enough being done. Um, that being said, um, you know, governments are elected and uh, for it to get on the agenda as something that uh, gets on election platforms, um, that has very much to do with, you know, with voters being aware of that, finding it important and demanding it. Do we have any um, federal representatives that you think we we should all take more interest in because I think I, I spoke to this uh, on a podcast previously and we were just discussing how it's never really fully clear here in Canada who is actually actively trying to help with the solutions to the to global warming climate change so is there any obvious person or parties that that are really doing what is necessary that we can put our energy behind? There's a there's a new organization which is just being launched. Um, Regeneration Canada is a member of it. It's called Farmers for Climate Solutions, and I think that their intention is very much to lobby um, governments and to lobby politically for policies um, that are more climate friendly in terms of agriculture. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something that's just just starting. I mean, there's there's not, you know, when I got into this space in 2017, it was, you know, I I it, it wasn't it was really not very heard of in Canada, and it and it just got on the kind of global scene in 2015 at the uh, climate talks in Paris. Um, there was a, a group called Four Per Thousand which brought forth the idea that if all the arable soil in the world could sequester 0.04% more organic matter, that we could compensate for all of the carbon emissions around the world. Now, that's a little bit simplistic, 
Uh-huh. Uh, there's complexities to that, but the general idea of it is that uh, sequestering carbon in soil is how you restore soil fertility, but it also pulls uh, excess carbon out of the atmosphere, and that um, doing re- promoting regenerative agriculture and land management. It isn't just about on farms; it's about land everywhere. You know, like where where plants can grow. Oh, okay. So just stay with me for a second because I'm going to try and ex- um, get my question as clear as I can because it's not even clear in my own head. <laughs> so what I'm, right. what I'm trying to think about is coming back to carbon in the soil and, uh, you know, the, the vegetable being the actual carbon that I consume. So when we talk yeah. about sequestering carbon, keeping it in the soil, if I'm picking the vegetable and then eating it, I'm naturally in the whole cycle freeing carbon from the soil all the time. So if I'm farming on some land, it's inevitable Mm -hmm. that I'm picking what I'm farming and then that carbon is being released from the soil. So how does farming then become a means of sequestering carbon and keeping it in the soil? Or is there something happening around the farming that sequesters the the carbon is that well i think it's a question of 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 all the organic matter that you know you obviously have to take some off like if you grow food you're going to harvest that food and Mm -hmm. you're going to take that out of the soil and that's going to be taken off and it's going to be shipped somewhere Mm -hmm. um but uh if if you don't take all the debris off because you know say uh, if you're growing corn, you're, you're taking the, the the ear of corn off, and that's what you consume. But then there's all the other parts of the plant. So if that is like tilled into the soil, um, then it's going to be decomposing. But what they do in no-till farming is is they leave all that debris, and it's covering the ground, and it is um, it's it's creating a shield on the ground, and then it's gradually is going to become part of the soil and feed the, the soil organic matter that's going to be there. So that's much better than taking everything off and shipping it away somewhere. So if those, if those parts of the plant that are not actually harvested are, are staying on the land, then that's minimizing that impact of, of the carbon that's taken away. And then you take all that debris and then you plant seeds into that again. And then without tilling the soil, that um, the seeds grow up through that fat of, of organic matter, which uh, slowly feeds the soil microbes and creates more healthy soil. I, I somehow get the impression that for farmers, they've something has been done for so long, generations have watched their fathers and and moms till the land and to the point that it's just being done somehow that it just seems right you know like how was how am i going to plant a seed into a hard soil (laughs) you know like it it just seems to intuitively make sense to turn the soil make it nice and soft that way i can plant my seed and then the then then it's going to grow easier but that's not actually the case right right yeah it's it's the it's the layers of soil it's the uh I mean, that's the way it happens in the forest. The soil isn't hard. If you think about that, the, the trees lose their leaves every every fall. 
and then there's a, a layer of, of leaf litter that's sitting on the surface, which um, is gradually, slowly broken down. And, and under underneath that, the soil in the forest, it's it's rich and it's full of uh, fungi and it's black. And, you know, it's like every year there's this load. It's like it makes compost um, right on the ground, right underneath the trees. Yeah. So in regenerative agriculture, we, we do the best that we can to mimic that kind of natural process so that there's layers of soil being built by the debris of, um, you know, things that die and things that, you know, the, the debris of plants and, you know, the manure and, and things that die off. That's what builds deep, rich, fertile soil that uh, holds water. Okay, interesting. Tell me, um, let's just talk about this to the whatever level of comfort you want to talk about it. Do farmers want to make this transition? And if they do, are there things going on in the industry that's preventing farmers from making this transition over to regenerative farming? You're right when you say that, you know, there's traditions like there's, um, you know, what people learned, um, what agronomists tell farmers um, what they learn from their fathers and grandfathers, how to do it. Um, you know, there is a kind of conservatism that um, preserves the status quo. However, it's getting harder and harder for farmers to turn a profit. A lot of farmers are in a lot of debt and the input costs are very, very expensive to buy all those fertilizers and pesticides and seeds and things that um, agro-business <clears throat> uh, recommends doing. So what farmers find when they, when they do um, find the motivation to, to make the transition is that it makes their farming more profitable because um, it increases resilience. Uh, to to climate events like um, flooding and, and droughts. Mm -hmm. And it also reduces input costs dramatically. The more, the more the soil becomes fertile, the less inputs are required um, to, to um, grow a healthy crop and uh, turn a good profit. So what regenerative farmers are saying is that there's this transition time, which may take a few years. There's a learning curve for which they need a lot of support. Um, but once the, once the system is put in place, it's actually more profitable, more resilient, uh, more effective, and the food produced is more nutrient-dense. Do you think there's any problem where farmers who want to make the transition um, it, as you said, there's a couple of years of, of time that needs to pass to learn. Perhaps it, it can be a little bit costly. Is there enough being done to support the farmers through that, uh, that learning phase where they're also spending money and maybe not seeing a return? I mean, you did say there's already a lot of debt, so, but sometimes there's a reluctance to go ahead and make change and incur even more debt, even though long-term it'll be good, and I don't yeah, know. Is yeah. That, but no, is, there, there, there needs to be a lot more support. Um, there are things being put in place now that that programs to to help farmers. There, there, there needs to be more. There yeah. needs to be more on every level. There needs to be. There's a whole 
opening field of um, regenerative financing. So people are thinking about uh, investing in regenerative farming as a, as an investment um, because it makes the land more fertile and it makes the land more resilient. So you know, so it is a good investment. You know, in in a regenerative farm, you're actually making an asset that is going to increase in value. So there's starting to be certain funds and certain programs that are funneling money into this. Um, <clears throat> there are some um, companies, like big companies, that are actually um, helping farmers, um, like putting investments into their supply chain uh, to help farmers learn how to um, farm more regeneratively. And, and then the company brands themselves as, you know, their products, their are produced regeneratively and then that becomes part of their branding. So, um, you know, it's a good thing. Uh, there's a lot of initiatives and there needs to be a lot more and it just needs to continue um, to build in awareness. And I think, you know, consumers and voters play a really big part because, you know, that's how, that's how the system works. You know, the big corporations have a lot of power, but you know, their power comes from the fact that consumers buy their products and, you know, governments have power, but their power comes from people voting for them. You will start to see more and more products being branded as regenerative. Um, we're probably going to start to see certifications. Um, I don't know how that's all going to shake out, but I think it's being launched right now is there's a regenerative organic certification. And there's probably going to be other certifications um, that we're going to start to see on, on food labels um, so consumers can uh, educate themselves as to, as to what these mean. Um, they can demand regeneratively produced foods. They can certainly, um, you know, when it comes to, um, you know, more, more local um, food sourcing, um, more local brands, um, you know, you can you can do a little agro-tourism and go check out um, the farm where your vegetables come from and, you know, ask the farmer questions about what they do and why they do it. Um, you know, just people taking more, more interest in it and realizing that um, the choices that you make and the way you spend your, your, your food dollars um, can have an impact on the environment and you just need to educate yourself and be a little bit more conscious about it. I mean, it does take some legwork for consumers to do it at that, at this point, because um, those certifications aren't, aren't, you know, they're just, they're just forming. They're going to be, they're being launched now. They will be launched. Um, but um, creating the demand and the interest is, is certainly uh, a really, really critical role for citizens and consumers to play. So are my, say, labels when I purchase and it says organic on the label, is that different than the certification you're talking about? Is, uh, is it that? Yeah. Okay, so are, yeah. I guess my I got two questions. <laughs> is my organic label on my products that I'm buying presently reliable? Um, what your organic label says is that um, that there are no um, synthetic chemicals 
or um, pesticides used in the production of that food. So you're not going to get the chemical residues. Mm -hmm. Um, But it doesn't necessarily um, say how that food was produced. Um, You know, I'll give you an example. Uh, I used to travel a lot uh, in and visit farms down in California where a huge part of our you know, organic foods that we find in our grocery stores come from. And some of those organic farms um, had thousands of acres of monoculture vegetables on tilled soil, um, which I would not call regenerative, even though it's organic. So those are two separate Mm. processes, which is why the regenerative organic uh, certification is going to tell you how that food was produced, and it's also going to tell you about the inputs, so, you know, the side, the chemical side of it, um, which is why there is a need for these other certifications, because if you're interested in the environmental impact, um, just an organic certification is a step in the right direction, but it's not the whole story. Oh boy, I'm I'm glad we have people like you and Anda to figure all this out for us. <laughs> okay, so now um, one of the questions, and as you were speaking, it's sort of it's quite relevant to what you were speaking about, just as far as res- residue on the foods that we purchase. The Canadian government has recently given a 15 year go ahead on the use of glyphosates on on our crops in in mm-hmm. Canada. So it. I guess one it, are glyphosates as much of a problem or you know uh, harmful to our health and our soils as we think and I guess the other one is like if it is how dare another 15 years be given to that is is that all fact or what's going on there There's a lot of controversy about glyphosate and in my opinion um it's it's too big of a focus. I mean, glyphosate is one chemical. Um, there are thousands of chemicals used. Okay. And some of the ones that um, would be used instead of glyphosate in conventional farming are very, very toxic too. So, you know, if we only think about uh, getting rid of glyphosate uh, and then it you know, then we turn back to, you know, these other kind of herbicides that were used before glyphosate was invented. Um, you know, we're, we're not really any further ahead. Um, controlling weeds is uh, a major challenge in, in agriculture. And um, glyphosate is one way to do it. And tilling is another way to do it. And tilling is what's mostly used in organics. Um, so, that isn't great either. Um, there's there's always a challenge in terms of, of controlling weeds, um, reducing all chemicals, and um, building towards a no-till, um, no chemical process. Is uh, a lot of innovative farmers are working on on these kinds of methodologies, um, but. You know, sometimes just a gradual reduction of glyphosate while um, while building the soil is 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 a is a reasonable solution. So 
uh, I think too much emphasis is put on glyphosate particularly. Uh, and really what we want to be doing is we want to um, be innovating uh, ways to, to farm and produce food that reduce all chemicals and reduce all tillage. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a big learning curve and, um, you know, it's a work in progress. What an incredible point. You know, this is case in point about when we when we know a little bit and we fall under the illusion that we know a lot, right? It's a, just like you said, it, great, you'll win the war. They'll announce, hey, glyphosates have been taken out off the market and we think we just won a, a huge uh, battle. But meanwhile, as yeah. I understand in the United States, it's uh, the glyphosate, uh, Roundup, has, which is a glyphosate, obviously for any listeners, Roundup has just been rebranded as Liberty Link or something like that. So, you know, mm-hmm. it just comes mm-hmm. in under another name and people, yeah. if you get too focused on one thing, yeah. I love the point. Thanks, Ananda. That's that's yeah. a great point. Yeah. yeah, we get rid of glyphosate and we go back to 2,4-D, you know? Two four D. That sounds bad, and I don't want it in my food. <laughs> yeah. Well, that that was the defoliant that they were using in the Vietnam War. Agent Orange. To, oh, is that Agent uh, yeah. Orange? Yeah. Yeah. And, and and they used to use that as a as an herbicide before Roundup. So we, you know, it's like like you said, you know, it's like we think that you know we put all this energy into uh, into banning glyphosate, and then you know they they just use something else. I, but here, one of the things that I get very frustrated about talking about this is that how are we going to get the general population to start even under, not because people are willingly ignorant there. I mean, people generally want to take care of themselves. They, I think people in their, their basic are good and they want the, the best for their environment and their country and their, their, but how do we get this into the mainstream knowledge. I think that, um, you know, because of the urgency of, of climate change, uh, I do think people are ready to um, seize on something that is actually doable. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of people are looking for something that is in their power to do. And, um, and I, I like for me, that was certainly one of those things, you know, mm-hmm. when I, you know, because I like to grow my own food and have been doing that for many, many years when I learned that the way I grow my food could be climate action. Like I was like, all right, I can do that. You know, that's something I know. That's something I can do. Okay. Ananda, one last question and then I'll let you go. Cause I know you're a busy woman. And after listening to you, you've got a lot to take care of. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, here's, here's, my my final like request for for you to hopefully provide us with some information on this that we live in a time that we have climate deniers right and i've heard so many people who i just trust so much with their work that they're doing in the environment and the the background and their studies and you know let's call them specialists and and I'm listening to you, and I just have the utmost respect. I've never met you, but I've just spoken to you twice, and just I just I I admire you, and I I just am so thankful that you've brought this to the brought this to the conversation. And um, thank you. 
Now, we need drastic change is what the professionals and the specialists are saying right now. They're saying this is not really a time for slow. Okay, we'll figure it out. You know, it's not being taught in school. Yeah, but we'll get there. As I understand that we're really not there right now. It's time for major change and people, all of us, I include myself, need to wake up now. And how do we get that to happen? an awakening when there's still denying going on? Well, I mean, I think, I think every individual has to think what, you know, what's their piece, what can they do and inform themselves more. There isn't just one thing to do. There's many, many, many things to do. Um, but um, I guess people have to figure out what's, you know, what's in their power. Um, and and it, it's how it's how you live your life, um, but you know it's also um, what you support. Um, so just paying attention to these questions and you know thinking about that when you're thinking about who you're going to vote for. Um, that's an, you know you know ask ask questions about that. You know what about you know what about land as as a way of um, sequestering carbon and and restoring the water cycles. Are you optimistic about the outcomes that we're looking at? Um, it's, 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 uh, there's no guarantee that, that we're going to succeed. Um, climate change is really upon us and we're really feeling it. Um, so I don't know that we're going to do it in time, but I feel like you have to try. Um, you have to do everything you can um, because if you don't, we certainly won't. And, and if we all do, uh, we've got a chance. And, and, you know, that's what the IPCC report told us, that uh, this is the critical window of time. Like we're, we're in a decade that is going to determine the future of humanity on this planet. And um, the only way we are going to succeed is if everybody um, does their damnedest to whatever is in their power. Well, Ananda, I just want to thank you so much for your your knowledge and everything you've brought forward. And I just want to um, thank you, honestly, for, for the work that you're doing. It sounds just like, it sounds like a mountain to move, but um, we need people <laughs> like you who are, who are just like passionate about it and bringing your best forward. I thank you so but- much, Ananda, and I wish you an awesome day. You too, Sean. Nice to talk to you.